Grant and Gracie Solomon were born to parents Aaron and Angie. Aaron Solomon was a longtime morning news anchor and sports reporter for WSMB Channel 4 News in Nashville. He was also a very trusted Merrill Lynch financial advisor and was a board member for the nonprofit organization Our Kids Tennessee. Our Kids Tennessee provides expert medical evaluations and crisis counseling in response to concerns about child sexual abuse. Aaron sat on the board for 16 years, and to me, that makes this story even more shocking. See, Aaron is a narcissist and a good one at that, or bad, I should say. On the outside, he has everyone fooled, making it seem as if he was your all-around good guy. However, behind closed doors, he was allegedly physically, mentally, and sexually abusive. Aaron would eventually file for divorce after he attempted to strangle his wife Angie, yet claimed that she attempted suicide. During the divorce, the abuse would continue, not only to Angie, but to the kids as well. But without actual proof, allegations don't always hold up, and that's exactly how the court ruled. In a shocking twist, Aaron was awarded custody of the children. Angie then tried to file a lawsuit against Aaron, alleging abuse and neglect, but the case was sadly dismissed. Over the next five years, the kids would live a life of horror, always feeling unsafe, uncomfortable, and suffering from continued abuse. Aaron basically had tight control over every part of their lives, and with full custody, he could abuse them any time it pleased him. Two weeks of school and for regionals. And for no, they're not going to stay with you till the end of school, so drop it. They're people. Don't pull this shit on this day like this. I'm not, I tried to talk okay, to you I've already. I've already given okay. it another day. They're two not weekend, ready. Two they're weeks not ready. in a row. You can yell all well, that's know. your fault because you didn't get their shit ready. That's Aaron, you. You notice that any time I bring them Aaron, to you, I to always have their shit ready when they come to you, okay? They're not, I will start saying, well, their stuff isn't ready yet. There's, I'm, that's what I'm going to do for you so and you're see going how to you like it. you torture the kids when they're so excited. During those five years between 2013 and 2018, Grant's bedroom door lock was on the outside while Gracie's lock was on the inside. This was so he could allegedly, repeatedly sexually abuse his young daughter hundreds of times after giving her a drink at night, which left her groggy. He would also allegedly video Gracie and take photos of her in the shower and bathroom. They say that he would ration their food, time Grant on the toilet, and verbally abuse them. Finally, in 2018, the kids had had enough and ran away to their mother's home where they ultimately felt safe, refusing to return. By this point, Gracie was in the sixth grade and her mind was developing to know what her dad was doing was wrong and he couldn't make her stay quiet. She says that when she was little, Aaron would tell her not to tell anyone. On July 20th, 2020, Aaron says that he was meeting Grant at Ward Performance Institute in Gallatin, Tennessee, to practice pitching baseball. Aaron says that when Grant arrived, he parked his vehicle next to his. What Aaron claims happened next is truly shocking. Aaron claims that Grant exited his truck and goes to grab his baseball equipment from the bed of his pickup truck, then all of a sudden, his truck dragged him across the pavement, down a hill, and into a ditch. Aaron claims that while all this was going on, he was still in his car, checking work emails on his phone. 
At 8.44 a.m., Aaron calls 911 to report the incident, and Grant was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. As you all know, 911 calls can be very incriminating, and Aaron's phone call was no different. On the 911 call, he says, uh, my, my son's truck backed over him, and he's, it's rolled over him and dragged him into the ditch, and it's on top of it. He's trapped under the truck, and I... I yeah, he, so he uh, somehow it drug him underneath it. Yes, my son is under it. I'm trying to, no, I'm, I'm trying to call 911. Okay, what's your name? Oh, my God. My name is Aaron Solomon. And you said oh you're my at God. 1357 Southwater Avenue, right? Yes. How old yes. is the male? He's 18. He just turned 18 a couple of weeks, about a month ago my son oh my god oh my god this is not good is he awake and oh please hurry i don't know i don't think so he's not oh he's not alert right no he's out and he's trapped i got three guys here and he's trapped under the truck okay oh my god i understand sir stay on the phone with me while we get somebody out there what's your name now keep those three guys in mind because that part is very important Toward the end of the 911 call, you can hear the incoming sirens and Aaron continuing to yell to the three guys that he claims were down in the ditch trying to help a trapped Grant. Here's where things get really strange. When police officers and paramedics arrive, these three men are nowhere to be found. They were said to be driving a white box truck, but no one but Aaron saw that truck. It's almost as if Aaron left his son trapped and dying and lied about three men in a truck to explain why he sat on the 911 call and did nothing. The 911 operator had even instructed Aaron to go down into the ditch and be with his son, suggesting he might be scared, but Aaron never went. Instead, he stood at the top of the hill and shouted at those three so-called men who nobody but him would ever see. A medical examiner would find that Grant's ultimate cause of death was due to cardiac arrest. He had also suffered blunt force trauma to the back of his head and was found with a traumatic brain injury. When paramedics arrived on the scene, they found Grant lying on his back under the front of his truck between the tires. This was strange because Aaron repeatedly said Grant was trapped under the wheels. Grant was also found to be bleeding from his nose ears, and scalp. Aaron's account of the incident didn't make sense to Grant's sister Gracie or their mother Angie. Grant always called or messaged his girlfriend from his truck when arriving at a new location and before getting out of his truck, but on this particular day, that never happened. There are even more inconsistencies that contradict Aaron's account of events. Grant never kept his baseball equipment in the back of his truck but instead always kept it in the back seat of the driver's side. So why would he be behind his truck in the first place? Also, Aaron claims not to have seen the actual incident. How? How did he not hear or see his son's truck moving? And I would assume Grant's cries for help. It just doesn't make sense. As the very quick investigation at the scene wrapped up and the seven police officers left, Grant's phone, hat, and baseball goggles were left in the ditch. If you're still not convinced that things aren't adding up, then let me add this. 
Aaron declined life flight transport and immediately refused an autopsy and organ donation before Angie even had time to arrive at the hospital. Angie had an hour's drive to make, so Aaron filled out paperwork before Grant's body was even cold. But he didn't refuse Grant's tissue being donated, which shows he wanted any evidence of Grant's skin removed. However, Grant's skin was unable to be donated because he had COVID a month before. Does this sound to you like someone who was trying to save their son? And when Grant's mother and sister arrived at the hospital, they allegedly found Aaron already lining up a singer for Grant's funeral. Grant had been living with Angie for the past couple of years and was frustrated that Aaron, who had not been in Grant's life, was quickly making all the decisions. Angie, a pharmacist, couldn't understand why Grant's injuries were so inconsistent with Aaron's story. She was shocked to see her son's body intact with so little injury. Hospital staff recorded a single laceration with bleeding on Grant's skull and three bruises, one on his jaw, one near his left hip, and one on his right thigh. Grant drove that truck for about an hour to get to baseball practice, and Aaron said the truck dragged his son across the asphalt into a ditch filled with rocks. Yet no further injuries were recorded, no burns from the hot vehicle, or abrasions from getting dragged along an asphalt lot. No punctures, fractures, bleeding, or any other wounds beyond those three bruises and the one laceration and blow to his head. There were no scrapes, dirt, or marks on his shoes. Since Aaron never went down to see his son as he lay dying under the truck, how did he know he was trapped? How did he know he couldn't move and had blood coming out of his mouth? I don't know about y'all, but if my child were trapped under a vehicle, I would be down there doing everything I could to save their life. Aaron claims the truck must have malfunctioned and refused a forensic exam of the truck. When vehicles are involved in inexplicable accidents, it's normal that they are inspected to look for faulty issues and potential recalls. However, in this case, not only did an inspection never happen, but a man whose family had already accused him of domestic abuse and violence was taken at his word about the extremely suspicious death of his son. The truck was reportedly found in park with the engine off, which is strange because the truck's safety feature prevents the engine from turning off if it's not in park. After the incident, Aaron would take over Grant's truck and drive it around for months, unconcerned that it would malfunction. Although Grant's mother requested an investigation, Gallatin police took Aaron's statement and promptly closed the case. The next day, Grant's girlfriend, Hannah, saw his phone pinging on his Life360 app moving. Shocked, his girlfriend's mom called Angie and said she was going to call the police because Grant's phone was moving. Angie then went into the funeral home and told Aaron, who looked shocked, and suddenly said he knew who to call. She does not know who he called, although he said he called the WPI, the building where the accident occurred outside. He later said that his best friend's friend just happened to find Grant's belongings in the ditch and took them. His belongings were later given to Angie. Eight days later, when Aaron described the incident on video to her, he changed his story and said that Grant was getting his gear from the back seat, not the bed of the truck. Strangely, everything in the truck appeared undisturbed, just as Grant would have left it. The only thing out of the ordinary was Grant's baseball bat was missing. 
Aaron would give a bizarre speech at his son's memorial, and eight minutes into that speech, he would call Grant's death a godly thing. Grant's family and friends have found Aaron's behavior throughout the ordeal very odd and says his salesman-like speech was very cold-blooded. But we have to ask ourselves this question. If any of the allegations from Grant's family and friends are true, then what was Aaron's motive? Well, at the time of Grant's death, his sister Gracie had an order of protection against their father Aaron, and Grant was set to testify against him once he turned 18. Unfortunately, Grant died one month after his 18th birthday. In an 18-minute video recorded last year, when Gracie was 14, she made many serious allegations against her father, including rape in a North Carolina hotel room and a lifetime of sexual abuse. Gracie describes how their father belittled, intimidated, and controlled her brother, and how her whole family has suffered at the hands of her father. She also called out the leaders of Grace Christian Academy and Grace Chapel Church. Throughout the video, Gracie lays out in graphic detail the alleged abuse from her father toward her and her brother Grant. Gracie also accused the founding pastor of Grace Chapel of lying publicly about his conversation with Grant in 2018. She says Grant wanted the pastor of the church to help stop the abuse, but the pastor later claimed at Grant's funeral that Grant went to him as a ninth grader to talk more about Jesus, but that was a lie. In her video, Gracie said the abuse at her father's hands began at a very young age when he demanded to be the parent to bathe her, not her mother. She said later, her father respected her boundaries for a couple of years, starting in 2018 after he allegedly raped her and after she and Grant had run away from his home to live with their mother but began harassing her again as soon as Grant died. She didn't even want to go to school because Aaron would show up despite her having a temporary restraining order on him, and the school allowed him on their property without ever asking him to leave. She said Grant planned to fight their father in court when he turned 18 because he suspected his word would be taken more seriously then. Gracie believes her father killed her brother to prevent that from happening. Tennessee has very harsh laws and typically dishes out very long sentences to child abusers, so it's more shocking to know that they wouldn't take any action against Aaron at all. But I guess when you are in a position of power, you are allowed to destroy people's lives with little to no repercussions. For years, Angie, Gracie, and Grant tried to get help as a family in crisis, but their church, school, judicial system, and local law enforcement all chose to protect their abuser and reprimand the victims instead. Throughout the years, Angie, Gracie, and other concerned individuals have been treated like they are instigators. They have basically been told to move on and stop trying to make the church look bad for minimizing Aaron's abuse. But let me tell you, I have had first-hand experience dealing with a narcissist, and I can tell you that they are really good at pulling the wool over people's eyes. So keep that in mind when I share this next shocking piece of information. Aaron was a member and regular attendee of Grace Chapel Church, alongside the judge who decided that the domestic violence against Angie was all made up. That same judge has a spouse that's a state senator. And last but not least, the governor of the state, Bill Lee, also attended the same church. This church resides in Williamson County, Tennessee, 
which is known for its zero tolerance in its court system. Unless you go to Grace Chapel and are friends with the people that run the judicial system. I spoke to someone who lived in that county between 2008 and 2010, and they were able to confirm how corrupt the justice system is there. On top of all that, the pastor of the church at the time has been accused of covering for multiple sexual abusers, ignoring the sexual abuse of students he was responsible for in the school connected to his church. This pastor has held very influential positions in the community and is described as a spiritual abuser willing to do anything to protect his reputation. Even his wife would protect him despite his abuse of power and position to emotionally manipulate women. The mega church in Williamson County, Tennessee has been described by some as a fundamentalist evangelical cult. Grace Chapel released a statement that has now been deleted after coming under fire on social media, in which they claim that no one knew about the abuse that was going on, but there's proof that that statement is a lie. There is also proof of Angie's vilification in the community, which you can see in this email exchange. In October 2016, Angie and coach Lynn McNatt were assembling a girls' basketball team, so she sent out an email to every fourth-grade girl's parents and the two basketball coaches. She then received a reply-all email back from one of the recipients, Dwayne Curl, quoting two scriptures, Matthew 24:4 and Ephesians 5:6. After Angie looked up the scriptures, she was taken aback and confused, so she emailed Dwayne, his wife, and the two coaches, asking what he meant. When he didn't respond, she called him directly. He answered and said, Everyone has heard the stories about you. I wanted to warn those who didn't know and hung up. Ten minutes after he hung up on her, he responded to Angie's email saying they spoke and there was nothing more to say. Thank you and God bless. This man is the husband of the school counselor, Amy Curl. Counselor Curl was alerted multiple times about Gracie's abuse and did nothing to stop it and never reported it. She even admitted in court that she didn't report it. Even after a fellow student's mother came to Curl personally and told her a horrifying story about an incident in 2014 at a play date regarding Gracie. A very young Gracie had placed an object around her private area and said that's what happens at her father's house. Neither parent nor Curl reported it to DCS or local law enforcement. Just like when Gracie told her school principal, Rona Branson, Curl and Branson both responded by shaming Gracie and again didn't report it. Shockingly, Curl told Gracie that the boys wouldn't like her if they knew about the abuse. She is even heard on audio telling Grant in a meeting, I just wanted to let Gracie know that some of the boys knew. Amy Curl's husband had never spoken to Angie, yet he shamed her with scripture in front of all the parents and coaches in the email, while his wife criminally covered up child abuse. This is the culture that allowed a criminal to continue their abuse. In 2018, Aaron's behavior was becoming increasingly erratic, and the kids began telling people about the abuse and looking for someone to help them. Documents reveal that in 2018, Gracie and Grant told their friends, Guardian Ed Lightham, and Court about the locks on their bedroom doors. Grant had said his bedroom door lock was on the outside while Gracie's was on the inside so his father could lock him in his bedroom at night. 
Gracie said her father would make her a special lemonade at night and she would wake up groggy and in pain below. Despite the children documenting this to the courts, authorities continued to work at reunifying Gracie with her abuser, while the judge told Grant, you're a big boy, you can protect yourself. Grant even called CASA in September 2018 and said he feared his dad would harm him. Gracie, like others, doesn't believe her brother's death was a mere accident. You would think the media outlets in Nashville would be all over this story, but I guess not when you worked for the media in Nashville for 15 years. Even Grace Chapel's correspondence to blogger Shannon Ashley on Medium.com criticized her for believing the word of a 14-year-old girl. In fact, they sent her a cease and desist letter threatening legal action for her writings about the church and claims that Aaron is not a member of their church. Because I just met this man and mm-hmm. he was saying that, yeah, um, I had to divorce my wife because she tried to commit suicide. She's crazy. Um, and I was thinking to myself, why would a person leave their spouse after something horrible like that? I mean, you would want to help your your husband or wife out if something like that happened and I was thinking this is really strange that he's telling me this because I don't even know this man you know did Aaron ever make a pass at you or anything yeah big time big time Um, well when I was standing in the kitchen first time he met me like I was saying the whole time he was talking to me talking about his wife trying to commit suicide he was like you know how men will like look at you in the eyes, then they will look down at your feet and up, down, up, down, up. Yeah. And at that moment, I thought, okay, he's a weirdo. Kind of undressing, you, know, thinking, undressing oh, you with his eyes type thing. Huh? Kind of undressing you with his eyes, more or less. Yes. And I was thinking, well, he's Aaron Solomon, you know. Uh, Maybe he's not that way you know you know what i'm saying but um so um he did this two or three times he would come in the door i would hear the garage door open and most people when they come home for lunch they're like hello you know i'm here for just a little while i'm gonna eat lunch then i'm gonna leave thought i'd tell you hi you know yeah. Well, no, it was nothing like that. I would always start upstairs, and I, as soon as I would hear him, I'd be like, hello, hello, anybody there? He would not say a word hmm. at, at all until, like, two or three minutes later, I would look over, and he would be creeping up the steps. So, um, before I went to bed, I would go into Gracie's room, and, and I would tell her, uh, um, a story you know read to or whatever and uh, we were just talking like that I was like yeah they grow up you know too fast whatever and um and then he completely changed he was like hey next time you come he's like why don't you bring your bathing suit and you could go for a swim and I was like um I don't do that I was like I'm just here to clean that I've never done that before so no i I will not do that. He was like, okay, well, he's like, 
I think I'm going to go out and uh, take a swim. So I was like, okay, we'll have fun, you know. So he goes downstairs. I'm finished with Gracie's room. So I walk um, across the hall. So I was cleaning out the tub and I thought, wait, I got a really strange feeling after he said that. And I was thinking, wait a minute, Belinda. Something told me you need to check on him and make sure, you know, he could come in and do whatever, you know, because yeah. I already had a creepy feeling about him. So I walked over to the grandparents' uh, window, looked outside. He was like really close to the house in the, the lounge chair facing their window where he probably thought I would, you know, look out, whatever, facing their window, completely nude, completely <laughs> nude with how would I say it? Um, an erection. Yep. Totally. And I thought, I, I, I said a quick prayer, and I thought, maybe I'm not seeing this right. <laughs> My brain was like, <laughs> not computing. I thought, well, maybe he has like a flesh-colored, you know, veto on or something. So I was like, Okay, I need to look one more time just to make positive sure that that's what I'm seeing. So I went like that and I was like, <laughs> oh my God. So I started praying, please get me out of this house before he comes in. I run down the steps, throw the stuff in the um, closet, and I'm trying to do this as quiet as I can too. And grab my purse, walk out the front door. And um, I had to, I had my cleaning stuff with me. So I opened the door and shut it as lightly as I could. So he couldn't hear me, but I think he already did. But because immediately I called my husband, told him what had happened. And he texted me like two or three minutes, Aaron texted me like two or three minutes down the road and said, why did you have to leave? And are you coming back? And of course I texted him back when I got home. I was just shaking. I mean, I was in the house with the rapist. I, I think I called his mom. I'm not, I don't think I texted. Yeah, I called her. And I just said he did something uh, very inappropriate. I was, I should have just came out and said what he did, yeah. but I was trying to save her as a mother, you know, yeah. I didn't have. But um, I was like, he did something very inappropriate, and I am never coming back. And mm. she was like, oh, you're not coming back to finish cleaning because I had just started cleaning. I hadn't cleaned the whole house because I start upstairs and then down. Yeah. And um, I said, no, I'm not coming back. And he owes me all of that money because at that point in time, I thought he was the one that paid. But she was like, no, I, I pay you. And um, she said, okay, I'll send you a check. Here is the timeline of the actions of adults that could have saved Grant's life. In October 2013, 
Robbie Mason, the school's headmaster, was telling teachers to turn a blind eye to anything regarding Gracie and Grant and that he would take care of everything. He took Angie's rights away, even taking her off all emails regarding her children, which was illegal. In 2014, little Gracie complained that her father put soap in her and it stings. In 2015, Angie tried to get help but was thrown in jail. Aaron and his attorney used the excuse that she was behind on child support and that's why she was jailed, but it was really because she kept trying to get help. Judge Smith clarified that it was because she would not stop saying these bad things about this good man. As a side note, Judge Smith has since passed away. From 2015 to 2018, Angie, Gracie, and Grant were just trying to follow whatever to make Aaron happy so he wouldn't take the kids from Angie again. Then in 2018, the kids were older and were no longer able to be easily manipulated any longer. In May 2018, two years before Grant's death, Angie told Patty Tremblay and Lori Ellsworth about the abuse, but instead of reporting it, they told Bill Woodward, who is the head of security at the church and school. He also chose not to report it, but instead called Judge Deanna Johnson about the situation. In June 2018, Angie was asked by Patty to fill out a benevolence form. The church then basically anointed Angie with oil, prayed over her, gave her $100 for new tires, and then just dropped any emotional or spiritual support. That same month, Angie messages Williamson County Sheriff Jeff Long on Facebook, stating that she feared for her children's lives and other children at the school. Sheriff Long met her immediately, and they discussed the girls at Grace Christian Academy, who Aaron had privately messaged and taken photos of. Angie had also messaged Sheriff Long in 2013 and told him about the abuse, but even back then he did nothing. In 2019, Governor Bill Lee appointed Jeff Long Commissioner of Safety and Homeland Security, basically placing him in control of the Tennessee Highway Patrol. When Grant died, the Tennessee Highway Patrol would have been the proper jurisdiction to handle the case and start an investigation. But even with the warning Jeff Long had, he did nothing. How safe are people in Tennessee if the safety commissioner won't investigate the death of a high school student he was repeatedly warned about? Angie had met Sheriff Long and his wife at a social function years prior, and she trusted him. In her emails to Long, she told him about Aaron committing a felony by forging a check, but once again, he did nothing. She even spoke about the double life he was living and how she covered for him for 12 long years, enduring domestic abuse and violence, but once again, nothing was ever done. There was even an incident on May 9, 2013, 31 days after the forged check incident, where Aaron allegedly strangled Angie. Long would go as far as to have a handwriting expert analyze the forged check and verify that the signature matched Aaron's. But guess what? Once again, nothing was done. I'm going to go through a timeline of events that took place in 2018. On May 16, 2018, Angie emailed Kurt Beasley, who is an attorney and close friend to the pastor of Grace Chapel, and told him that she feared for her life and her children's safety. On May 22, one of Sheriff Long's detectives followed up with Angie, who decided to open up about the abuse Gracie and Grant suffered at the hands of their father, Aaron. 
On July 9th, Gracie and Grant undergo a forensic interview. On July 16th, the investigator made a referral to DCS based on Gracie and Grant's interview, but DCS claims they didn't find any issues. On August 3rd, investigators told Angie there wasn't enough to prosecute Aaron. On August 13th, the kids wanted to stay with Angie an extra week. Aaron said okay, but then had deputies pick up Grant and Gracie in a cop car to, as he said, teach them a lesson to obey. The kids then questioned the police. You're sending us back to an abuser? The police tell Angie to file an emergency petition for dependent neglect. The next day, on August 14th, Angie files for dependent neglect, and Aaron is served papers. That same day, Aaron leaves with Grant and Gracie, headed for Cary, North Carolina, for a school baseball game. On August 15th, CASA worker Melania Wells was assigned to the case. She was the one Grant called in September to tell her he feared his dad was going to hurt Gracie and him. She filed a report and called DCS, and a guardian ad litem was immediately assigned to the case. Megan Plagman, who was over CASA workers, scolded Melania for doing that. Melania was taken off of Grant's case within a few days, and Megan took over. Megan would go on in 2021 and be one of Aaron's two character witnesses against Gracie's claims of sexual abuse. She said she did not believe Gracie and stood by Aaron. On August 16th, Aaron heads back towards Williamson County, Tennessee, with Gracie for a preliminary hearing, but stopped to stay the night in a hotel in Asheville, North Carolina. This is when Gracie alleges her father raped her. At the court hearing, the judge told Gracie that she had to remain in the custody of her father. At this point, Gracie falls apart in the courtroom and clings to her mother, Angie. Aaron rips Gracie off of Angie and heads back to Cary, North Carolina. On August 29th, a video was taken in the public's parking lot that shows Gracie refusing to go with Aaron, despite his police threats and court rules. You know, Tom, it might, that might be what happens, is that the police end up coming to get you to make the violence. When? I don't know. Would you, so you'd rather do that than just come to my house? Why would they come get me? Because the judge said. Because the, the police will make us do what the judge says if we don't do what the judge says. On August 31st, 2018, Angie was in the car line to pick Gracie up for a doctor's appointment. She began receiving frantic texts from Gracie saying Aaron had shown up at school and was demanding to take her to the appointment himself. I don't know about y'all, but I find this very strange and suspicious. Angie recorded Aaron and elementary school principal Rona Branson after Branson asked Angie to come in to calm things down. 11-year-old Gracie had just told Branson that her father abuses her, and instead of calling the police, Branson told Angie that Gracie would go with Aaron and that she can follow. I just want Gracie's decision. Well, you know, because I just want to have our 
connection, but I want to watch this to be a scene. Well, I'm relieved that every time it comes up, it's been a possible scene because things have not been This is my suggestion, is that I'll talk to Gracie, I'll tell her that you're going to follow to the doctor, y'all get the doctor appointment over with, and that she's going to go to her birthday party after that. And, and then we'll get whatever paperwork and all that figured out next week. So, I mean, I'm kind of on the odd out with you without having paperwork with you. So, um, in order to keep this calm and yeah, I think she'll be okay if I explain all that to her. Is it okay? Can I drive her down there? No. no. I'll drive her down there. But you can follow, as she said. I just go right along to their phone number. Well, again. Meanwhile, while this video is being taken, Gracie is hiding from her father in Branson's office upstairs. The school followed Aaron's demand even after Gracie broke down and told the principal why she didn't want to go with her father. This is where school headmaster Robbie Mason says Gracie's claims are old news and puts her in the car with her father. This would be the same man who allowed Gracie's father on campus in the fall of 2020, even after Gracie got a restraining order against him. In February 2020, Judge Dina Johnson put an order on Angie that she could not take Aaron to court again regarding the children for 72 months, which would be the date that Gracie would be 18. Judge Johnson's husband, Senator Jack Johnson, strangely wants to pass a bill where unless a death is determined to be a crime, nobody can investigate. They are allegedly doing that because they know that all this information is circulating about Grant because of the Freedom of Information Act request. It was from these requests that Grant's loved ones were able to receive certain information. The only investigation Gallatin Police Department did was the less than one hour during which Grant's scene was cleaned up. Cleaned up, yet left valuable evidence such as a cell phone behind in the ditch. In the next clip, Angie follows Gracie to the doctor while Gracie messages Angie the entire time. Why did Aaron have to be at Gracie's doctor appointment? Was he worried she would tell the doctor what he had been doing to her and just did to her? Aaron learned very quickly at Grace Christian Academy that adults can make up their own rules and force children to follow them. As a result, the school is known for kicking children off sports teams and even out of school for minor offenses like cursing. Headmaster Robbie Mason, like others in Gracie's life, never did a single thing to put a stop to the abuse. Mason has even gone as far as to say, I always say, we're not going to believe everything your kids say about you, so please don't believe everything your kids say about us. One of those unusual years that we're going to need your support in a lot of different ways. If you hear something strange, please go to our teachers. If you hear something that you need to address that doesn't sound right, please come to us so that we can give you the truth. I always say, we're not going to believe everything that your kids tell us about you. 
So please don't believe everything that your kids say about us. He always says this to parents gathered at the beginning of every school year. It was even captured on video in 2020 and sent out to parents. This is the same gathering each year that they say that their school is the only real, true Christian school around. The law in Tennessee states that any person with reasonable cause to believe a child is being abused or neglected must, under the law, immediately report it to the Tennessee Department of Children's Service or the local law enforcement, but Mason broke the law by failing to report the abuse. Instead, he covered for his friend Aaron. He even covered up for him in 2013 after Aaron forged a check from the school. On top of that, he refused to honor a restraining order against Aaron. And then he dared to ask Aaron to announce baseball games at the school, which angered some parents who believed Angie, Gracie, and Grant. Headmaster Mason would also be the one that would make a statement for Aaron's defamation case. He would also be the one that made sure students did not talk about Grant's death in school. Grant's friends were told they were not allowed to talk about it. I want to make a side note that not everyone at the school is a horrible person. Some kids and parents at the school did express concerns about the abuse Gracie was going through, but that didn't matter to Mason, and he still proceeded to ignore the claims. After the doctor's appointment that Aaron forced himself to, Gracie can be seen begging to go with her mother. Angie recorded Aaron in a doctor's parking lot, trying to coerce Gracie into going with him to Mississippi for another baseball event, which would consist of staying in a hotel again. Well, I'm missing I'm right so now. Let's I'm, please. All I right, want so, to ride with mom. All right, so then after <laughs> the party, you go with me and Grant to Mississippi? I don't, I don't want to go to Mississippi, please. I just want to stay. <laughs> Gracie, you're coming to me eventually. Because you guys are breaking the rules. I'm not. You two are breaking the rules. I'm not. Is that what you think it is? No, I know what it is. I understand. But at some point, we're supposed to be following rules that aren't being followed. And there's reasons for the rules. And it doesn't matter what me, us three think. And we've had this conversation a number of times, but it's going to stop. Gracie will be coming to me at some point. Whether you like it or not, it will happen. Because I'm not going to continue to allow us to be breaking the rules. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. It's not just about what you want right now. It's, it's, it's much bigger than that. And I've tried to play nice and be nice about it, and you, and, but you've been with mom way more than you're supposed to, and more than, way more than what the judge said. So it doesn't matter what you think right now. Even the guardian ad litem in the case testified that she had never seen this level of control exerted by Aaron over Grant and Gracie before. Gracie had even told a friend at school, if my dad ever comes to school to pick me up again, I'm going to call 911 because she knew the school wouldn't do anything about it. Aaron is clearly a master manipulator and has fooled many people. It seems a lot of people in the case don't believe Angie, Gracie, or Grant unless they had captured proof on audio or video. 
That's clear regarding Grant's crime scene because it's not on video and no one believes Aaron had any part in it. Over the years, people have sided with Aaron and called Angie crazy or mentally ill for her claims. This shows you the level of control people can have over others to the point where they will continue to allow abuse to go on. Now, Gracie and Angie have to live in fear every day, not knowing if Aaron is coming for them next. The Attorney General himself calls Grant's accident a crime scene and a homicide, yet they haven't done anything about it. Aaron was the only witness with conflicting stories. His stories do not match the scene. Listen to Aaron in this video. At the time I was mad, but then after the fact, I think that was for, so they wouldn't, so I wouldn't see everything mm -hmm. yeah. and make it worse. And then that's when we got them to tell us some of the regional hospital yes. and yes. I, I left and headed this right. way. Right, as soon as, as soon as, as soon as they got him in the ambulance, then they let me come out and drive basically chased the ambulance to the hospital. Yeah, but you never made it down there. Not like, all the way down And you didn't there. open the truck door. Or no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Nobody opened, nobody, nobody touched him or the truck because there were a couple dudes. And we just saw it here and was like, I got to call. Oh, I got to call because there's no way we can help it. Somebody at a higher and level. And you can see from here that he was. Plus, we have the abuse against Gracie that he hasn't been charged with yet. From 2013 to 2021, no one in the Grace Christian Academy administration fulfilled their mandatory obligation to report the abuse. Instead, they continued to allow Aaron on the school campus, even allowing him to take photos of other students who he would then attempt to contact via social media. Angie had long learned the game to protect herself and her children as best as she could. She knew the church and school were protecting Aaron, but her children were growing older with minds and voices of their own. Tragically, when they spoke up, they were silenced. These administrators are still in charge at Grace Christian Academy. They care more about Gracie's reputation than protecting her as if she could control being sexually abused. They care more about the other kids hearing the word sexual abuse than the fact Gracie was living it. We're having parents reach out to us. I mean, I've, I've had three parents over the weekend that said, my child came to me and asked me, what is sexual abuse? You know, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so what, a lot of kids are, a lot of kids are being affected by the, you know, what she's gone through and what she's telling people. And then they're so young, we're talking about 10 and 11 year olds, mm -hmm. you know? So they don't know what to do with it, and then they go tell somebody else, and then it's like, I just don't want it to like become the talk of the school or to grow right. a life of its own. We, we want it for her How sake. do we contain this so that, yeah, for her sake, number one, because it isn't just about sixth grade for her. This is, you know what I mean? This, mm -hmm. These are her peers all the way up. And so I don't want something that's going to be detrimental to her that's going to fall. She hasn't, she's not thinking of the future. She's thinking of right now, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking of the future and how this is going to follow her with her peers, you know. And then I also have to think about other students who are now, you know, having to deal with this. You were trying with to squash that right. as far as like, we don't want other students then going and talking to so I did ask her other students 
Yeah. Who, who have you told? You know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't say, who have you told that your dad's sexual abuse? I didn't use that word. I didn't say that in no. front of her. I just said, who have you talked to about this? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. And we, we kind of played dumb. Like, you know, I don't want to tell them anything that they don't know. I just said, you know, this is not something that you need to repeat. You know, please don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. Don't go you know, talk. At least three boys know. And several girls and I'm just I'm really concerned because they can't they don't know what to do with it they you know that, like how that sensitive it is yes how, how sensitive mm -hmm. that it is mm -hmm. and that's you know and that's what we tried to talk to Gracie about it's like you need to choose who you talk to about this very carefully she like she hears what we're trying to say and that we're trying to help so I was you know I I don't mm -hmm. know if that's really how she felt. I'm not sure, but no. okay. We, as all a group, help you know contain this. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, in her aging process, started to have confliction and confusion about what had happened, what was currently happening, what was not was not being stopped when she asked for it to be stopped, and what is this? And why do I feel weird, dirty, alone? Why do I feel like something's wrong with me? So that's her trying to process what we know is a label, what she doesn't understand. So you've got that, and I think it just became, I don't know how it could have not become, but um, like I said, it's affecting Grant too. So what's going on here at school is affecting him that terribly. I really don't, I really don't know what to say other than I need to think about this. Um, I've worried about it since she was five. So, um, I worry about today, I worry about tomorrow, and uh, Lord willing, I worry about when she's 40 or 50. They don't disagree she's been molested. But they are saying you have no right to talk about it till you're an adult, and she better deal with the fact her dad is welcome on campus. How this isn't a crime is beyond me. Probably one of the main major conflicting stories is that in July, August, and September of 2020, Aaron claimed that he was in the parking lot first, and Grant pulled up beside him. Aaron sees Grant get out of his truck, but then goes and looks at an email. But in court in the fall of 2020, Aaron was called to the stand in Gracie's restraining order case against him. When the attorney started asking questions about Grant's death, Aaron said that he and Grant just happened to meet up in Goodlettsville on Veterans Boulevard and followed each other. That Aaron followed Grant and Grant went in first and parked and then Aaron parked. As for Grant's death, State Attorney General Blanton has called the parking lot where Grant died a crime scene. How can this scene of a 2020 accident be called, be called a crime scene by the state attorney general in 2022 if they don't believe a crime was ever committed? The AG said there still isn't enough evidence to investigate Grant's death further. In addition, the AG, in writing, also called it a homicide in the talking notes he sent to Governor Bill Lee regarding Grant's death. The DA told Angie that they couldn't investigate further without the smoking gun, Grant's truck, which was in Aaron's possession. 
Aaron wouldn't release the truck to Angie and kept making excuses when asked about it. He drove it for seven months before secretly selling it at an auction. Angie and a friend finally found it at a junkyard and bought it. They then had a forensic examination done on the truck, something Aaron had refused. Forensics showed the truck was not totaled as Aaron had claimed. Moreover, the private investigation provided evidence that Aaron committed insurance fraud. The black box in the truck reportedly proves without a shadow of a doubt that the truck did not go out of gear, and it proves that someone drove the truck forward into the ditch. There was a small amount of blood under the truck, but no blood was found in the parking lot where he began supposedly being drugged by the truck to the ditch. It's been two and a half years since Grant suspiciously died, and a year and a half since Gracie went public with serious allegations, and nothing has been done. Corrupt Williamson County has repeatedly put Gracie and Grant in danger by allowing Aaron to have custody. Shame on you, Williamson County. Shame on you. It's time this county is investigated by the FBI and the people in charge are removed from their positions and the power they have abused is revoked. As a final note, the pastor who helped cover up the abuse left Grace Chapel in the summer of 2021 and the church of 6,000 members split. In 2022, that same pastor was given a tribute by Senator Bill Haggerty for the congressional record. Senator Haggerty was born and raised in Gallatin, Tennessee, and formed a law enforcement coalition with Gallatin Police Department Chief Don Bandy. Chief Bandy was in charge of the officers at the scene of Grant's death. When you look at who has the power to open Grant Solomon's case or keep it closed and the direct connections they have to the case and Aaron, it is much easier to see how he has gotten away with this. Grant's loved ones have created a petition at change.org. Let's demand the investigation of Aaron Solomon and get Gracie, Grant, and Angie some long overdue justice. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.